I'm now recording. I, that's ideal for a podcast. Yes, I would agree with that. How did your like film shoot go? By the way, I think that that whole thing happened in between the last time. Oh, that's we... right. It went it went really well. I guess that's that's one of the primary reasons why I wasn't in on last month. Yeah, the the film project went really well. We filmed for three days, three twelve hour shoots. And it was utterly exhausting and also some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I got sick during the process, but it wasn't COVID, two negative tests. (laughs) It was a lot. And then two days after filming finished, I had to hop on a plane to go on a work trip. So, oh God. So I basically had like a uh, nine straight days, I think, 10 straight days of just exhausting work. So my March was very busy. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. I I mean, I did like a lot of media production in college. And yeah, those like 12 plus hour days back to back is just like one of the more brutal experiences. Even though you're not like, like you are lugging equipment around and stuff, but it's also just like you have to be thinking about stuff the entire time. And it kind of is like, you know, playing a long day of magic back to back or whatever, because you're just like worried about every single thing. Oh, definitely. And there are also people who do carry the the luggage all day, and that's a, even more. <laughs> like I can't, yeah, it's it's tough, but it was definitely, yeah. You're just like mentally completely exhausted, um, and I was directing it, so. Yeah, well, I mean, congratulations on wrapping. I that little process like seemed to get off the ground pretty quickly, so. Oh I, yeah. I'm glad that it seemed to go smoothly. I think it was a very accelerated process for something like that to have. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically did all of pre-production in like two months, including fundraising. So, so yeah, I feel really good about it. I'm psyched to see it. I can't wait. I'm excited for there to be a thing to see. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know if you, a picture was going around of Keanu Reeves, like helping carry equipment from like one location to another. And so people, obviously there were people that were like, wow, he's so awesome. And then there were other people like, this should be the bare minimum. Expectations are so low. But then somebody quote tweeted that and was like, uh, you know, I once got fired from set for making eye contact with Mike Myers. So any actor who does this, <laughs> like, earns my undying affection for life. I can't stand people that like, I mean, sometimes it's true, but like, I feel like people are way too quick to be like, that's the minimum or whatever. We're celebrating this. And it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Can we be happy, please? I haven't smiled in three days. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't have to be miserable about literally everything that happens. We can kind of appreciate something. Yeah, even if you're right, like even if it it should be a standard or whatever, like please let me have one one kernel of dopamine. My family is dying. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you get things to become the standard by appreciating it when people do them, right? Like. I don't know. It's so funny to imagine that person on set with Keanu Reeves. Like Keanu picks up a su- like a, a whatever like a container, and they just go "fuck you, Keanu." <laughs> He's like, "whoa." <laughs> I saw. Um, I don't. There was like a discourse about Pedro Pascal making way more money than um, Bella Ramsey on The Last of Us per episode. Mm-hmm. I think Pedro Pascal had like six hundred thousand dollars per episode, whereas Bella only got. Uh, like 70,000 and someone replied to this like tweet being like I always knew Pedro Pascal was bad or whatever it's like no you didn't like what do you like (laughs) what do you mean 
<laughs> you don't get points for being cynical about everything. Everybody has their own little vendettas. Like there are people that you don't like, and then when it turns out that they suck, then like you like th- oh, this yeah. has certainly happened to me before. And like obviously they're looking out for that, but that wasn't enough. Like Pedro Pascal like making good money at the end of and not at the end but like at the the peak of like a 30-year acting career like yeah that's not that's not a thing like and it's not like he wrote into his contract that bella has to make like 10 percent of what he's making like that's just, he had nothing to do with that like it's a very silly take obviously <laughs> no more takes please please no, no takes this is a zero take show we're just looking at lists and we're talking about what we like and what we don't like and it's very it's just it's all analysis no takes i am prepared to have no fun for the next hour perfect everybody else lock in this is a no fun hour where we talk about magic the gathering in just like the least exciting way possible i have a spray bottle over here and every time a joke occurs to me i'll spray myself so i don't <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode, uh, crap, I don't even know what episode this is, uh, episode 288 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Castor-Rappel. Lee is out today. My dog is crying because she wants to leave the office, but as soon as she leaves, she's going to either chase the cat or be crying to come back in. With me today, Jesse Robkin, here to talk about Standard in the Wake of Regionals. Welcome, Jesse. Hello. Rest in peace to Lee. No longer with us. He's just getting over being sick. He's okay. Yeah. He's not. Oh, I didn't, I'm not saying he's not okay. I'm just dead. saying he's not with us anymore. <laughs> and by anymore, okay. I just mean uh, yes, right now. Yes, <laughs> I hope he gets pe- peaceful rest to recover from his illness. We'll miss him. We'll, we'll leave pauses in the in the like chit chat so that we can like feel his presence even if he's not here he's here he's with us in spirit true so we had regionals this weekend i think that's pretty much what we're going to talk about i uh really enjoyed the coverage i just uh, again i i really appreciate this kind of like new era of honor led coverage that is super dense in gameplay i uh, that's all i want i just want games it's incredible i'm happy to wait like an extra hour or two before it starts in order to not have to wait any amount of time in between yeah the combination of waiting after it started and it being on the west coast when i'm on the east coast did you know make it like not quite the coverage watching day that i ideally would have but it's kind of not a lot you can do about that that's fair that's the west coast fault though yeah east coast tournaments only for the future please just for me are you familiar with the phrase west coast best coast east coast least coast but it's there's like a lot of coast there's not like less coast i don't even know what that means i don't know i it's what i say sometimes when i'm deciding when i'm getting territorial about being from washington state (laughs) i have affinity to both I lived in L.A. for a couple of years. My mom is from San Diego. I I have no problem with the West Coast. Double affinity is kind of broken because then like no matter which coast you're on, your mana cost gets reduced. Yeah, but I have like a lot of colored symbols in my cost, so it doesn't help that much. (laughs) 
I'm trying to think of like a joke of which color of mana I would be a lot of and why that would be, but I'm I'm kind of blanking. What well what color what color do you think you are? I I'm whatever color like enjoys food the most. Red, the the color of like passions and like satisfying desires, I guess. I guess black is that too. Am I black red? That's not good. You might be green red. I feel like green Maybe. is very food related. I'm straight Esper. Just right down the middle. Oh, okay. Of that's a declaration, yeah. Blue and allies, very deliberate. Yes, exactly. Good. We're going to need your analytical skills as we go over a actually pretty like chaotic and surprising results from this weekend at DreamHack. Just to give kind of context for the metagame going in, which we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, Grixis was kind of here, tier zero. The Here's the mid-range deck that's very powerful in the format. Esper Legends arose to kind of prey on how sort of slow and ponderous the Grixis deck could be. Card advantage engines that don't really matter if your life total ends up at zero. So then the Grixis decks got a little smaller, sometimes dropped a color, played a lot of cutdowns in order to address the Esper deck. And that's kind of where we were going into the tournament. Esper, Mono White, and Rakdos slash Grixis as as the big three. And then some stuff on the periphery. You could do weird stuff with Rakdos by putting in some reanimator things. Uh, you could maybe figure out a way to put Atraxa in another deck, either a control, you know, like that blue-white control deck we saw from two weeks ago, or, you know, a more domain-based four or five color deck. Also, Selesnya Toxic existed. But this... This tournament happened, and at least at the top of the metagame, we got some wild results here. Yeah, definitely. It was it was interesting. I think this might have been the first weekend that Grixis was not the most played deck, or even in the top two most played decks. The breakout deck of the tournament is one that I... It's somewhat hard to wrap one's head around, I would say. The, <laughs> the like four-color, Blade of Shared Souls combo deck. Yeah, absolutely. We hadn't seen this at all, like even a little bit before this tournament. I, I do appreciate like in the immediate wake of people talking about how open deck lists stifle innovation and, and brewing. And then it's like, OK, well, here's a Radadrabic of Urborg Blade of Shared Souls combo deck in the top eight here. It is funny. And like, it seems like this deck might actually be good, which is wild. It was sort of spoiled. For my testing process, I was originally planning to go to San Diego, but ended up deciding not to for basically money reasons. And before I decided not to go, I was testing with Team Handshake. They sort of opened up their team. Uh, that's the team of like Nathan Stoyer, um, Tan, uh, David Inglis, Tangrams, etc. Basically, the this like anytime a player on that team played against CFT Sock on like Magic Online or anything. They always like took a screenshot of the like deck that we were playing against <laughs> and then posted it so that we could like keep tabs on like what they were exploring. Um, and so uh, they sent a screenshot of just like a billion, I think it was like a billion Ratadabricks or something on the opponent's side of the field. So it was like on our radar, but we, we did not take it like particularly seriously. We were just like, wow, what an incredible genius. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like, so that combo of the sword and Radadravic is there's certainly power there. Building the 60 cards to go around it 
does seem borderline impossible and we did see a bunch of different versions over the course of the tournament absolutely and, and it felt like every player sort of stood by their own version there wasn't a lot of like consensus mm-hmm. over what what the best version was i mean cft socks version was just grixis midrange but then shoving this combo in somehow including splashing white pretty heavily double white for ao the dawn sky yeah. in your corpse appraiser deck yeah yeah this is a it's a sight to behold this this deck three the mathematically perfect three blood tide harvester oh my god that like hurts my soul that's such a dagger like i don't know every deck that i've played that wants blood tide harvester just wants it in its opening hand so it's so mind-boggling to me that this is what but i don't know it's crazy the way that this thing works just the basic card interaction so ratadravic of urborg is a four mana three three with the several abilities but the main thing is whenever another legendary creature you control dies you create a token that's a copy of it except it's not legendary and it's a 2-2 black zombie in addition to its other copies other colors and types and then you've got blade of shared souls which is two and a blue for an equipment that has four mirrored in so it comes in and makes a 2-2 that it attaches to and whenever it becomes attached to a creature for as long as it's attached to it you may have that creature become a copy of another target creature you control so the main combo is you have Radadravic of Urborg in play, you play the Blade of Shared Souls, make it a copy of Radadravic, and then the token dies and you get a non-legendary token of Radadravic. And then you start equipping your Blade of Shared Souls to other bodies, making them Radadravics, and then you just get this like cascading like exponential number of ratadravics in play is is kind of like part of the thing it can do but it also is just like two mana to get a death trigger off of one of your legendary creatures which works really well with Atsushi and ao the dawn sky or if you just have some bodies you can go incredibly wide and make thousands and thousands of power of ratadravic of urborg in play yeah and especially uh like Atsushi's death trigger for instance goes infinite with ratadravic and blade of shared souls mm-hmm. in play because it can it makes three treasure tokens and it costs two to equip so and then like ao can like find you all your pieces which explains why they are only playing two ratadravic and three blade of shared souls presumably because those cards are not particularly good uh on their own yeah. and you see so much of your deck between corpse appraiser fable of the mirror breaker ao the dawn sky um it's just like, I, I assume it must just not be that hard to find your combo pieces. Yeah, I mean, right. The Corpse Appraiser casts a strategic planning when it comes in. You have some amount of looting. You have your, fa- I mean, you have your Fables of the Mirror Breaker. So you can put your stuff together over the course of a longish game. It, it is funny just like seeing where the swaps got made from a Grixis deck. Like, yeah, Invoke Despair is a really good five, but... We'll just put these four AO the Dawn Skies in their spot here, and and that'll be good, too. The thing that blows my mind the most about this deck list is the Singleton Concealing Curtains Revealing Eye. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Can we just put a Blood Tithe Harvester in that spot? (laughs) Yeah, we can't have four Blood Tithe Harvesters. The list is too tight. We need this Concealing Curtains in the deck. A card that just has not been playable in standard, despite looking like, you know, I've I've wanted it, but it's just not, not that good. One mana 04, pretty strong. <sighs> yeah, blocks blood tithe harvester. It sure does. That's what it is. The, too many mirror matches where their opponent had a blood tithe harvester <laughs> and they had a concealing curtains. Yeah, but, you know, 
scoreboard. Yeah. This, you know, CFT Sox got a regionals top eight with this deck, and I didn't know that there was a Blade of Shared Souls deck until this weekend. So did an incredible job brewing this deck up. So congratulations to them. And and a bunch of people worked on this deck and came to different versions. And, and I'm definitely impressed with pretty much every one of these lists in the tournament. Absolutely. I, I'm kind of hoping that this is like the deck of uh, Pro Tour March of the Machines. Just like somehow, <laughs> I don't know. I want this to stand the test of time. I, I do think it gives a a different dimension to the format. Yeah, it, it like adds this combo element that you can't just grind into it with like fables of the mirror breaker and blood tithe harvesters. And like, you you can't just like out card it because eventually they'll just put together a two card combo that like renders your, like I'm up a card and a half over the course of these turns, like completely meaningless. Yeah. I remember watching uh, Joe Bernal's match uh, in day one where Joe was playing uh, Azorius soldiers and was up against it was another one of these uh, versions of this Blade of Shared Souls decks. And Joe was up a game and had gained something like 20 life for, uh, over the course of game two from uh, mm-hmm. that Lantern Flare card, the removal spell that deals damage and gains life equal to number of creatures you control. Joe had like successfully ground his way through a massive board and they were in like turn three of turns. Joe was like solidly in the driver's seat to win the match 101. And then his opponent just like ripped the like combo piece they needed in order to like combo off, make an infinite board uh, and and win on their next turn. Basically, <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, I and and I think the key here is, especially in this like CFT sock list, that most of your cards do function very well like magic cards and even like blade of shared souls coming down and cloning like you have a lot of good things for it to just be a clone of and then sit and play ready to do combo-y stuff i can't stress enough how much this deck has just stock grixis mid-range with this combo shoved inside like it's it's wild right down to like the you know the, the removal suites the same you still have your make disappears there's one reckoner bank buster for some reason like it's just <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's ultimately like Rakdos or Grixis midrange just with a different end game and card advantage engine from the other ones. And so and, and we kind of saw this as well with the success of the reanimator decks over the weekend, which have a very similar like playing, you know, 40 of the same good cards and then just saying, I don't want to invoke despair my opponents out of the game because all my opponents know about invoke despair and are doing everything they can to make it not that good against them. And also, honestly... Like casting AO and Grixis is not that much harder than casting Invoke Despair. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you forget that BBBB is uh, not free. Yeah. Yeah, the Rakdos midrange or the Rakdos reanimator decks are really interesting. The testing team that I was on realized like the week before the tournament that we had kind of not explored reanimator very uh, effectively. Um, we were mm-hmm. like, eh, that's probably not ideal testing, but whatever. And then, of course, it ends up being like both of the finals decks in the tournament. Yeah, the finals was a mirror of two pretty similar Rakdos reanimator decks. And not, you know, we saw a fair bit of the Matt Nass version. Uh, Matt Nass and uh, Andrew Beckstrom, I think, were the players that had the most success with that over the course of the weekend. I love their deck. I, I, I think it's a work of art. Yeah. 
cut down to one Atraxa and playing Capricious Hellraiser in those slots instead because you can actually cast it unlike Atraxa and you can tutor Atraxa with your Cruelty of Gix and then you just can use it as this big value thing getting back your sagas and you know anytime you Cruelty of Gix and get back a Capricious Hellraiser then that can probably cast that Cruelty of Gix again and you just like keep going so very satisfying grindy endgame engine that can also put an Atraxa into play, which generally beats Mono White when you do it. Yeah. Yeah, the the Matt Nass version, I think, is likely the more promising version of the archetype, although I guess scoreboard. Uh, but mm. it is like, it's interesting because even that deck only had two Capricious Hellraisers. Like, they had three creatures to reanimate, and they just essentially relied on tutoring for the creature every time with Cruelty of Gix, which makes sense. Like, if you, sna- if you staple Grim Tutor to reanimate you're gonna have a pretty solid i don't know you don't need to play that many of your actual win cons that are clunky in multiples yeah and i think that ultimately is the key to these mid-range decks with a different end game is keep as many of your cards good magic cards as you possibly can and limit the hands that are like i drew two attractions and a capricious hellraiser this game or whatever yeah like, don't don't do that to yourself yeah, I will say the um, the more traditional reanimator decks that play more Atraxas, the the synergy between the, those decks and uh, Atushi, um, or it's, was it a sushi? What is it? I wish I was Always at sushi like right now. Has the word sushi in it? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that like you can play this four mana four four flying trample creature that if your opponent your opponent just can't kill it because then it gives you Atraxa mana is is definitely like an impressive thing about those decks and that's something that had been like the capricious hellraiser version was brand new for this tournament the atsushi rectos reanimator decks uh were kind of had made a little bit of an appearance but hadn't made a huge splash yet i have played some with atsushi in the atraxa decks and it, it is good it does its job but holy crap, when that thing gets ossification or lay down arms, you just like want to go lay down in a hole. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. It seems like the kind of card you would board out in those matchups for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you do have the backstop of like mono white is not great against like Atraxa into setting up another Atraxa. So like, you know, yeah. it doesn't make that matchup like miserable or anything, but you do have some interactions that don't go your way. Definitely. How about... Uh... Max McVitie making it to the top four with Selesnya Toxic. That's I I can't explain this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the explanation is the first two words I said, which were Max McVitie. Max McVitie, <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair he enough. Put an aggro deck in his hand. Doesn't matter how abysmal it is, he's gonna do well. Yeah, he's uh, it was so funny. He put he tweeted a poll uh like a week before the thing, being like, uh, if I could only play one of these two decks, red, black, aggro, or Selesnya Toxic, which should I play? And uh, I think it was uh, Austin Berkovich, maybe, was like, just stay home. <laughs> and then <laughs> Ultimate Scoreboard goes X1 and whatever. And on coverage, made the deck look just, like, unbeatable. <laughs> just always had, like, the curve of multiple guys into Slaughter Singer, making your guys just too big to block. Everything was worked out really nicely. Like Venerator Rot Priest coming down with a Skrelv when your opponent just had all this targeted removal in the hand. He made the deck look really good. So the question is, do you think the deck is good if you play it well, or is it really just a, a player diff situation that no, that no one else could hope to recreate? I... 
I mean, I think that, you know, Max was the beneficiary of some pretty good draws and some pretty decent matchup yeah. positioning and stuff over the course of the weekend. Uh, obviously played lights out. I I was really impressed in the matches that I saw. I don't know what level of play skill I am playing at, my opponents are playing at when I've run into this deck, but I have never felt like, oh man, not Selesnya Toxic again. I don't know how to beat this thing or anything like that. Yeah, I think uh, he also probably is the beneficiary of just like the fact that Toxic isn't good means people don't have to respect it as much a little bit, which, you know, but because uh, mm-hmm. it's not even like, I mean, how many people even registered the deck? Like, Looks like 33 people. Yeah, so 3% so. of the field. And yeah, even despite his top four run, the deck had him uh, went 130 and 130. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I mean, in a tournament this size, it's tough for even like one or two good performances to do to have a significant impact on a deck's record. Yeah, but yeah, and and one thing as well is that like Rakdos and Grixis are one for one decks, which Selesnya has a decent time against, especially because of Skrull's Hive. But the Rakdos reanimator decks are generally main decking a couple copies of Brotherhood's End, which plays like a lot of copies of Brotherhood's End with the four cruelty of Gix in the deck. And so if you're running into a deck that can sweep you and then clock you, I think that is pretty tough. Yeah, definitely. Is Rakdos midrange just the best way to play the red black midrange decks? I mean, it's it definitely seems like reanimator was kind of the place to be at looks like in this in this win percentage breakdown reanimator and mid-range had almost the exact same win percentage so maybe it didn't really make much of a difference but boy seeing two reanimator decks in the finals really shoves you into like uh that the deck seems really good well it's awkward where the if you if rakdos is better than grixis Rakdos almost assuredly also has a worse matchup against the reanimated version. So it's sort of, if both oh, are sort of sure. equally good, it's probably slightly better to play the reanimator build. Yeah, and just have the the advantage in the mirror. But, you know, this does also push, if reanimator then starts taking significant metagame shares, then probably putting counterspells back into your mid-range deck does end up being the thing at some point. It was not, though, this weekend. Grixis did have a, a slightly below 50% win rate. Yeah. Also, Corpse Appraiser, I think, goes a huge, a long way in that matchup. Yeah, I don't know, because the question, I guess, would then be, are the problems with Grixis, like, only contextual to the current standard meta, or are they, like, fundamental problems with Grixis that were that were discovered, and therefore the deck can never reclaim its, like, former glory? Um, and I don't really know the answer to that question. It does seem like its mana base needed to be adjusted. I know uh, the people on my team that played uh, Grixis ended up adding additional basics, including like even a basic island to their deck over the Odawara. It'll be really that, interesting that's to a see field how that of ruin changes. Consideration, I guess. Field of Ruin and Razor, Razor Lash, uh, Transmogrant, and to a lesser oh, extent, okay. Furnace Punisher. Um, sure. But yeah, so I think. I don't know. I, I'll be really curious to see how things shape up. Also, with a new set coming in, obviously that's going to shake things up. Given that this was the last standard tournament of this format, I guess to, to some to some extent we'll never know if like Grixis would like come back or not. Right. In in some ways, this is a pretty lame duck kind of episode. But I don't want to not talk about the oh you know, definitely the big culmination tournament here. So well, and it and all of this stuff will be relevant to the Pro Tour which is not that far from now. So I think that, 
you can learn something about the format while also understanding that like this exact format will never exist again because you know the next format probably won't be that different you know like i mean it depends on how much battles shake things up and stuff but yeah but battles seem likely to contribute to like almost making this format even more purely what it is which is like a value-based combat step oriented format oh absolutely they seem perfect for it a number that's really sticking out to me here on this uh archetype breakdown is uh the number in the draw column for mono white mid-range 68 oh draws yeah. is just tr- obscene the next highest is 28 for esper legends which yeah it's just and that's only that high because esper was 16 percent of the field yeah yeah mono white was 12 percent of the field and had 68 draws that's a lot that's really tough and and i don't know how much i mean obviously a lot of that is just this deck isn't great at dealing the the 20th damage to your opponent but part of it or the 19th or the 18th (laughs) i know i I know (laughs) part of it may also be that you know you gotta adjust back to paper play and if you're going to play a deck like mono white midrange or if you're gonna play an omnath deck in any of the older formats then you need to both manage your pace of play well and manage your opponent's pace of play which is difficult and stressful for me to do and i can say go get good at that but uh actually doing it is another story but it is something you have to be aware of if you're registering these cards it's definitely true uh i my team definitely like considered mono white as an option mostly because it seemed like it had both a favorable matchup against grixis and against toxic which you know Back when I stopped playing Toxic was just starting to show its true colors. is not actually a very good deck. The, the sort of plan was build a version of the deck that wins game ones in the mirror and then have zero sideboard cards for the mirror and just plan to win one zero one <laughs> Because you really just like... The deck just isn't really built to win the game. It's certainly built to not lose the game, but that's not, not really enough if you can't take game one. Right. I was talking to Sam Black yesterday about uh, his experience because he played uh, Boros mid-range in the um, in the tournament, and I was skeptical of this choice ahead of time. Uh, he was like asking me about it, and I was like, I don't know, man. If like if the right thing to do was to splash Fable in mono white, I feel like that would be the thing everyone was doing because it's such an obvious choice. But his position, it seems, is that. Uh, mono white as it exists in the current standard meta is horrendously misbuilt and it's not as simple as just like adding fable to the deck it's like a dramatic restructuring of the deck that does ask you to play red which i thought was interesting so basically his contention is like wandering emperor is horrendous in the deck you never play you play at sorcery speed the entire time and anytime you pass with four mana Wandering Emperor is completely telegraphed. Planeswalkers in general are not very strong in the deck. You need to hit your land drops, but you also need to like find gas, and therefore Bitter Reunion is a perfect card for what the deck wants. Um, mm-hmm. And the other big thing is uh, you get Archangel of Wrath if you splash red, which is like a great answer to the aggro decks that also just kills your opponent, so you don't go to time as much. Uh, so I do think that he made some compelling arguments and if i was testing for standard right now that would be like a place i would want to look is a like more dedicated boros mid-range deck yeah that makes a lot of sense i would collins and i were talking last week about 
builds of the white deck. And, uh, you know, he was saying that one thing that really bothered him about the deck and has kind of for its whole existence was the two drops all being one ones and also like the difficulty of crewing Reckoner Bankbuster. So making that card just way less powerful than it, it should be. Um, so, you know, like he was playing Rafine's Informant as a two drop, which I don't think fixes the problems, but it, it's at least aiming to make the deck able to be a little more dynamic in the early game than than what it is. I'm actually a little excited for some of the new cards to come in and let this deck have a possibility of just, you know, there's more options for different slots. There's like the the Flicker Wisp, like 3-3 three, three Angel, that it may be a decent three drop. It can reset your Reckoner Bankbusters. It can draw you extra cards and also starts attacking for three in the air. And that's, that's pretty nice. And also it's possible that, like I felt the same way about the Wandering Emperor, if Elspeth is playable, that's a planeswalker that actually like attacks for damage. And so maybe the the deck can be reworked to to f- operate in a different way a little bit. The other thing about the flicker angels, it can flicker steel seraph from a three three into a five four or whatever. That's pretty sick. I'm not mad about that. Yeah. Um I do think Ambitious Farmhand is really good. Uh and mm-hmm. I think that the dog is really bad. Uh, <laughs> that's 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 my really strong that's my i i know i said no takes but that's my take <laughs> farmhand great One take dog is fine. bad yeah and for what it's worth collins did not even though he was pretty reasonably high on mono white ultimately did not choose to go with mono white went with rakdos reanimator on the weekend finished 10-4 uh unfortunately i think just barely outside of pc qualifying oh, spots although on on tie breaks but yeah uh, still a pretty good run. Piper Powell finished 51st and uh, with pass downs, invites went to the top 50 players. Oh, so my brutal. God. So brutal. That's rough. Yeah, Collins ended up at 55th. That's too bad. Esper Legends continue to do just fine on the weekend, despite adjustments being made to decks, all the cutdowns being played, people playing their sweepers, knowing that this deck existed. The most heavily played deck in the format also just kind of had the best record of the decks with over 10 players registering them. So nothing wrong with Esper Legends. Keep keep playing that deck. Nobody really knows how to beat it yet. Yeah, it's probably just the best deck. I don't know. It seems hard to argue at this point. Fundamentally speaking, the de- the cards, the, the like threats in it are broken. You get to play so many lands in the deck that you like mana screw is a bit hard to do. And then those lands don't make you flood because they're also spells. I mean, it's just like such a work of art in so many ways. It, it is. It feels like less of a work of art when you draw like the third copy of a legend that you already didn't really want to cast the first copy of this game. But, See, but art, that's not art is all about if it's imperfect. All it's art. Art is all about imperfections. <laughs> yes. Like when you're getting attacked and all you can do is play an Adeline and pass the turn. That's yeah, that, that's that's part of it. <laughs> No, but the deck is is clearly super strong. Yeah, and Plaza of Heroes is just a disgusting land. All right, I have one more hot take for you. I think it's only going to keep getting better. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah? I think Wizards of the Coast might keep printing Legends. Oh, no, really? Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. It's a very bold belief, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's some sort of, like, you know, way that people play Magic that we don't engage in that, like, really 
relies on a steady inflow of legendary cards or something there's got to be some explanation for this i don't know yeah that seems far-fetched to me but maybe it's just a theory it would it would have to have like twice as many players per game in order for that to really matter that much but anyway right and like you know nine times the presence on on twitter of like the actual competitive magic but we kind of like pretend it doesn't exist until we see an account that we've never heard of that has like twenty five thousand followers and we're just like i don't know if i'm engaging in magic the gathering in the best way possible yeah i like to think that my account bridges the gap between competitive and edh uh twitters even though i don't really tweet about edh but i do write for the professor so (laughs) i guess that's true you've got a a foot in um i don't know where the rest of this metaphor is a foot in two different lakes or something yeah (laughs) yeah I don't know how my legs stretch this far, but they do. <laughs> They're just really close together lakes. Oh, it's yeah. still magic. It's arguably ways. one lake, but there's like a land yeah. bridge. <laughs> it's it's just like a lake that like the people on one side of and the people on the other side of like kind of don't get along and nobody really understands why. It's the star-bellied sneeches. Exactly. <laughs> one of my favorite books as a child. Uh, I have a very similar take that Wizards will continue printing legends and i have gone on record saying that i'm like pretty confident that mox amber will end up banned in pioneer by two years from now it will be on the ban list there's just kind of no way that it keeps surviving like something's gonna break it sooner rather than later yeah it's almost like mox and are broken just kind of always end up good somehow yeah i have you seen the the like esper legends in pioneer deck yeah, that's just standard Esper Legends, but it has a couple Mox Ambers. Yeah, and in some it. Fatal Pushes and like good mana. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I have seen it, and it also seems fine. They have sideboard Urza's Ruinous Blast. How do you not love Urza's yeah. Ruinous Blast? I've I cast that card more than I should have in standard because I shouldn't <laughs> have cast it at all. Yeah, but zero is the right bit. number of times. <laughs> so it was good out of the sideboard in Kethis. And okay, that, that that's, makes sense. That's that's what we were doing with it. But yeah, Esper, you know, I think the players that did well in this tournament had plans that actually worked against Esper generally. And some of that is having the right cards. And a decent amount of that is also knowing the right plays, knowing when you can spend a cut down, knowing when you have to save it for Athalia, uh, just like play the matchup a bunch and understand where your cards line up and when you can cast your spells. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of the, uh, like, do you think these domain control decks are real? Cause I, I did not have a very high opinion of them when they first arrived, but people like keep playing them and doing well with them. I also don't have a really high opinion of them. I, I think that, a better way to do a hard cast attracts a deck is still the not still but like you know two weeks ago at i don't remember which regionals it was but in the top eight there was that kind of like blue white control lay down arms deck that was splashing for green mana to fix its mana to allow it to play attraxa and that deck i felt was it had better mana than these decks and it it looked very impressive to me. And I played a little bit of it and it felt way smoother. These like full on 
domain control decks just have seemed so clunky to me and i don't think anybody's fixed it in any way that that inspires me yet yeah i uh i do think herd migration is just like a good card um i agree and so i think that might be a a deck that eventually if like a a good mana fixer shows up could be good but yeah i I don't know it just seems like there's too much wrong with them Mm mm-hmm and the fact that herd migration makes you play a bunch of basics that are bad in your deck, <laughs> like doesn't really help the situation. The fabled passage problem. Yeah. Yeah, and also the like, the I am always playing from behind, but the best card advantage spell in the format is Reckoner Bankbuster, so I'm gonna put Reckoner Bankbuster in my deck that is never ahead on board. Is a I like that's just a deck composition that only a mother could love. I don't love the hands that you you draw them and you're just like god there's if my opponent plays a fable of the mirror breaker i'm just dead here yeah i like this one of cruelty of gix and this one that did well that's the uh in in tommy's deck yeah it's... oh no no he oh, had a, no, in... a gix's command right oh yeah no this is a uh, yeah jordan berkowitz um i don't know oh in the yeah you just put one <laughs> yeah. in your deck and it's yeah. great yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not a ton of variation. You know, I'm I'm trying to look for like interesting, you know, card choices and stuff. You know, Tommy's Rakdos mid-range deck, you know, he's got like one Archfiend of the Dross in there in one of his four slots. He's got a Gix's command, which I think makes a lot of sense. It's an additional sweeper against the Esper decks and just is, you know, you don't want to draw a ton of these, but it can give you an out and uh, can also help you grind in the mirrors, so that's a nice choice. Yeah, Gix's command is awesome in the meta. It's uh, not good against Grixis, even though you might think it is because it's like a grindy card, but it's incredible against both Mono White and Esper. Yeah, Tommy was on the, the team that I tested with. It was interesting. He's one of the few people that went with Rakdos over, like, most of the other players played Grixis, I believe. But yeah, his list is really smart, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, anything in particular that, that you want to point out here or, like, the reasoning behind any of the choices? The quad shield rate is really uh, interesting because it seems like uh, a lot of, like, the decks were playing, like, two or three of them. Um, and he his belief was just, like, the best way to back up a shield rate is a second shield rate when they kill the first one, um, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty sound logic because shield rate does kill you. No, it doesn't matter who you are. Shield rate will kill you if... Uh, it stays in the battlefield, so that's one thing. I don't know the uh, that turn he had against the mono red artifact ramp deck, where he was definitely dead on his next turn, and he managed to piece together Exaxes by like casting a graveyard trespasser, eating a, a creature, copying it with Fable, or, or using the one that he just cast a crew bankbuster, then copying it with Fable and eating another creature and then attacking yeah. for seven plus eating one more creature it was so oh my god so beautiful that mono red ramp deck was pretty sweet it was sweet i wish it was good yeah i know that koth is not the best magic card in the world although it is surprisingly impressive in that deck yeah yeah it's just scred the the planeswalker yes and then the, the ramp deck is just scred but in standard yeah Scredders will scred. Oh, the other thing that uh, the team identified uh, that both Tommy and Matt Sperling and a few others who were playing in the tournament registered was Braska Betrayal Sting as a sideboard flexible 
uh, answer to any creature that wasn't bad if they didn't have the creature. Because there's a lot of matchups like Mono White that your targeted removal is not good. But every once in a while, you need it. Like if they have a Sarah mm-hmm. Paragon or a a Sanctum Warden, Sanctum yeah. Warden, yeah, or or in the case of like Atraxa, if they manage to put Atraxa into play, and Braska answers those things in like sort of an up tempo way, and also is a win condition in and of itself. Um, so that's definitely a card that I I think is pretty impressive. That's nice, yeah, and and it's much more flexible than if you bring in like multiple copies of soul transfer or something like that. And then you just have all these removal spells in your hand against what is effectively a control deck in mono white. Their feeling was that soul transfer is like a bad card, but it does at least hit everything. So you can stomach having one in your deck, but then, and you, and you want access to it slightly more often, but you don't want to play two. So Vraska is just like another option for that. Similar to soul transfer answering anything, but in a way that, is actually a card when you don't have anything to hit. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Spider Space brought mono black midrange to this one and and queued with it. I think that a key thing that is slightly surprising, and I don't know if we like expected it, but like Liliana of the Veil has like flipped back around to being good in this format now. Yeah. And so a deck like this that has four Lilianas is actually just good because you cast Liliana in turn three a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to highlight is uh, Corey Bowmeister championed like an eight Planeswalker build of Rakdos that had like four Obnixilis and four Liliana. Um, mm. And apparently like the people who played that deck did pretty well with it. So it's definitely like an interesting sort of development. Yeah, I think my buddy Alan grabbed that deck and played it in the open after not making day two of regionals and did really well with it and said that the deck felt excellent so i am interested in that one which did not have a presence in the main event but was kind of a later iteration yeah definitely and i think i think it makes sense obnixilis is low-key kind of good against the thing that pushes planeswalkers out of the format in invoke despair and you definitely are like kind of soft to corpse appraiser because you're playing Tenacious underdog but other than that like with with corpse appraiser sort of on the decline as a card people are registering it seems like i don't know there could be something there i mean you know graveyard trespasser in the rakdos deck is still eating creatures out of your graveyard it's just not giving them quite the payoff for that yeah know. yeah it's about like how punishing of a swing it is but yeah i i mean liliana just i i, I guess it's some level of you know there are decks that are attacking like liliana is quite good against esper legends in particular like you just need a little bit more removal spells especially one that doesn't get affected by ward and you know sometimes liliana is bad but when you go like removal spell into liliana a lot of times that just like kind of punishes them and they're not able to put together their their combo of creatures and then liliana is also pretty good when your mid-range opponent is just like packing a lot of cut downs and stuff like that and you can just put this three mana planeswalker in play that's causing problems definitely with esper too if you if you're able to pick apart their hand through the discard uh Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder for them to operate because part of like why rafine is so good is you get to filter through your cards but if rafine is like mill x instead of connive x then it's a lot worse i really liked abe corrigan and his team the the they're the hooded brawlers uh 
played Esper with a couple Lilianas in the board, and that's a really cool innovation. Yeah, that that is really cool. It, definitely not a thing that really occurred to me, just because you have so many threes. Like that's that's the mana cost where you're just like, I can't run all of these cards in my deck anyways. But it is a deck that wants to be able to be a little more reactive post board especially like in the mirror you need to kill stuff but you also can't just kill stuff so something like liliana can help support that plan pretty well yeah their deck also interestingly is not playing as many threes because they have two they're only playing one adeline and they have Mm. two gix one lauren and four rafine which totals to i believe eight threes and i think that they trim on gixes in the mirror so it allows you to have a little bit more space for those Lilianas. And then also the nice thing is like Thalia is not a card in the mirror. So it's not like you're getting taxed in that regard either. So yeah. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. went up to two Harbin Vanguard aviators to get those twos in one razor last chance McGrant. Um, yeah, Esper would be, it, it would definitely get past the hump here. Like, like the one thing holding it back is just you don't quite have the density of good twos that you really want in in your standard constructed deck and you know you're playing four denix which is a legendary creature that you know sometimes you just draw two copies of and they don't kill it because it's just a two three lifelike and but it's like that's one of the best cards to have in your opening hand still you just need it and if there was just something like a little bit better than harbin and uh, Razor Lash Transmigrant to go in that two slot, then this deck would uh, take off and and be probably a problem. Yeah, I do think Harbin Harbin is definitely like seems to me like the next best two, um, mm-hmm. but none of these obviously. I I haven't actually looked at March of the Machine spoilers specifically for twos that could be played in this deck, but it might be worth doing. Possibly like a that rona card or something like that uh it's a two mana one three but if you're conniving onto it maybe that's fine i love rona i don't know if i love her for this but that is my favorite card that's been spoiled she's a really good i mean i've been thinking about her in across many formats it's a very cool card yeah yeah i agree the other weird thing is just like you want to play these channel lands but then like they don't actually fix your mana that well so um i know you want so many of them like once you've made four lands you just want all of the lands that you draw to be channel lands but exactly yeah um so yeah it's it's definitely a deck with flaws but it does seem it's i don't know it's so cool i i can't remember i can't think of the last standard deck that looked like this i guess kethis but that's not really like (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a different story. But yeah, if this is a thirty creature three instant main deck. Yeah. Like thirty creature and one of them is and only one of them is non legendary, like the one right. Every other one besides Razor Lash Transmigrant has a comma in the name. Yeah. This deck would kill a Victorian child. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, you also get that I get to run twenty seven lands in my creature deck and generally never flood out like that's a huge bonus i I mean all of the best decks in the format have that anti-flood capability to them whether it's fable Fable and blood tithe harvester or it is you know rafine and channel lands roadside reliquary and mono white yeah right just like tons of utility lands that do stuff uh selesnia toxic also has 
uh, a bunch of seed cores and murexes to get value out of their lands over the course of a long game like all the good decks like don't flood and that's that's really important being able to play so many lands and not and not flood is is just sort of like the best of both worlds the only other thing that is i think esper that really impressed me out of esper is is urtai i feel like two just feels like such a Mm -hmm. nice number for that because like you said you get to this board state where you have like two creatures on board but they are accruing so much advantage that you can just afford to pass with a you know mystic snake for the rest of the game yeah that's your favorite spot to be in when you just have whatever like you know a five six lifelink denic and an adeline or or a a rafine or whatever and then you just get to like hold up urtai and nothing can stop you yeah, definitely a promising deck. Or not a promising deck, just a good deck. <laughs> the yeah, the promise a, a is uh, that it will continue to be good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that promise will be kept. I don't know. Anything else that we want to talk about with Standard? I, I, I guess, you know, is there... Do you have, uh like, this is the explanation for, like, why the Reanimator deck was so strong this weekend when it really hasn't hasn't made its way out of the edges of the format before this? I think it's potentially as simple as Grixis is at the lowest point it's ever been at. Um, mm-hmm. you, you have fewer corpse appraisers. Uh, and yes, like you said, you have the the graveyard trespassers, but uh, it's such like draining them for one is so much worse than <laughs> <laughs> exiling plus strategic planning. So that's like a big thing. And then also like the lack of, there's not a lot of counter spells in the meta right now. I assume that they must have a decent matchup against Esper. Like I know Esper has counter spells, but you have all the cut downs. You have all the same stuff that other decks were using to combat these Esper decks. Plus you have Liliana, which like you mentioned. And, and you generally are running a couple copies of Brotherhood's end. Yes. And I think that that is really nice too. Absolutely. And you can tutor for it with, yeah. So I think it's just like fits really well into a meta that is hateful of grixis and that's likely to continue now it's possible that people could start playing like like well the thing is they, they could start playing like unlicensed hearse but graveyard hates also not that good against them outside of like like corpse appraiser is great because of the overwhelming like carded card selection and advantage it offers while attacking your graveyard but unlicensed hearse just sits there and then you just don't put atraxa in your graveyard and you hard cast it instead and then because the rest of the deck is just a mid-range deck. And like, yeah, if you have Reckoner Bankbuster against the Cruelty of Gix, you could stop it from reanimating. Or they cast it on Chapter 1 because you're not pressuring them because you put a, a vehicle into play. And then they take your creature out of your hand. And then they tutor up in a braid for your unlicensed hearse. And then they get something out of a graveyard. And you just like got valued out of the game. And they don't even need to be a reanimator deck. Cruelty of Gix is such a crazy good card. It's strong, and when it doesn't get make disappeared, then it's a great value engine. I think the key to the Matnas deck is the fact that it reanimates from either graveyard, because you know you have the ability to tutor for a thing when you have time to do so. But when you don't have time mm-hmm. to do so, that generally means your opponent's playing creatures, and if you just kill their best creature and take it, that's like pretty game winning in and of itself. Like the number of steel serifs that they reanimated is right. just like holy cow. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah, the the amount of like abrade this thing, get it back is a 5-4. Uh, yeah, yeah. Take, a lot. take your Sanctuary Warden 
on the first mode <laughs> and then like tutor up a sweeper and then like reanimate sanctuary warden is just like holy cow like i think that's worth three life <laughs> yeah especially against like the white deck that's not pressuring your life total in a meaningful way then that the letting cruelty go through all three modes is really strong yeah well any other thoughts about this standard format uh we can also talk about some mom spoilers if you have anything you want to talk about or i can i can pick out some cards yeah nothing like i feel like we've kind of got all the meat off the bone from the rc i am curious what kind of impact mom will have on this format because the format feels so defined right now are there are there specific cards in mom that you there are some really strong ones that i think are you know interesting to talk about i i don't know i don't have like specific ones that are like oh this is going to change the dynamic of this matchup or anything like that i am really interested in brewing up a more assertive mono white deck using some of the tools that are coming in here particularly that blink angel and potentially archangel elspeth i think you can actually start pressuring your opponent a little bit better with cards that do provide value which may be something that that the deck is interested in yeah i also think that battle the two mana one that has the apollo effect is really interesting also dusk legion duelist is kind of crazy that card is good yeah so dusk legion duelist is one in a white for a two two vigilance whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on it draw a card this ability triggers only once each turn so probably as long as you have eight things that put counters on it then it becomes potentially really scary so you've got siege veteran and then you just need like something else that is playable and and impactful with it yeah i mean even the elspeth puts counters on it yeah oh true good point um all the backup creatures put counters on it yeah i think i don't know i guess that's the that's the joke like it's in the set with backup that you're supposed to put counters on it with backup that yeah that's that's pretty sweet there's a lot of really interesting... It feels like there's a lot of like things to help out aggressive strategies, which this format desperately needs because all the aggro yeah. decks are just not that good. No, the... the Like, everybody now is running cutdowns was enough to kind of crush the aggro decks for multiple... Like, they didn't come back or in any way. Like, they've been bad for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. That's the other thing about the, the Dusk Legion Duelist is it outgrows cutdown with a single counter on it. Um, mm-hmm. so that's definitely seems useful oh you know what you can also uh put rafine counters on it that's really true that uh that might be a good two drop for that deck though. yeah i mean it might be that is sort of the only plus one, plus one counter thing in the deck i think but you yeah. could ma- you could maybe I mean, you'd have to it. be like I-, I don't know it doesn't seem super likely that the deck wants archangel elspeth in it but maybe yeah i don't know monastery mentor coming to pioneer finally oh my god exciting (laughs) it's nice to see yourself have a tangible impact on on the world i don't know i it it does feel like a card that should be pioneer playable and just has never been well it's so stompable it's just the stomp most stompable creature of all time it's really stompable um (laughs) yeah i pioneer needs unearth then then it might be good yeah i i think that that would just render it playable immediately. Yeah. I do wonder if recommission is good enough for Pioneer with 
with uh, Mentor, but yeah, paying two for that is just so so much more than one. Just it's so twice clunky. as much as it's one. Just... That's what they don't tell you. It's just by the time you are doing this thing, like when you're casting Unearth, the idea is that it's part of a double spell turn and it's like really backbreaking because you're getting way more than one mana out of your one mana spell and you're getting do killing something or whatever with your other spell. Yeah. When your Unearth costs two mana, that becomes like so much harder to do. That's totally yeah, that's very fair. Do you think the uh the seven mana twenty twenty trample ward two dinosaur is gonna be good? Wait, hold on. Which card is this? Ancient Imperiosaur. Oh, I'm I'm looking at it right now. The convoke one. It's, yeah, yeah. This, it's a zero mana twenty twenty. If you have seven creatures. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Have you ever had seven creatures in playing instructed? Uh, Scrolls high baby. I don't know. <laughs> it is, you know. It, Wedding announcement gives you three. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Wedding announcement gives you three. I... So you just need two and a third yeah. wedding announcements. Actually, that's not true because they're not green. So, wow. It's really I, tough. I, I like invoking. I like convoking. Oh, man. I, now I can't remember the name because it's been so long. The Loxodon. Venerated that put Loxodon. Plus one counters on. Venerated Loxodon. I'm never not thinking about Venerated Loxodon. <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough you know venerated locks on him was wonderful because it spread so much power around and gave you this like two zero to two mana four four body ancient imperious or just gives you the body and makes you skip a combat step and like yeah it's gigantic but and it's got ward too but i don't know this does seem like a dream that i'm not like the most interested in dreaming i guess yeah it's the perfect card in a lot of in in the sense of it will inspire players to attempt to build mm-hmm. it but isn't actually good <laughs> like yeah i think those designs are important to have yeah yeah i agree um there's a lot of sweet convoke cards in this set i do like i think convoke is just a great mechanic i like stoke the flames coming back yes yeah that also will help aggro decks too probably yeah a real burn spell is is a breath of fresh air i saw a really sweet almost mono red it was like is it prowess deck that played the one that the prowess creature that transforms that card is really good um mm. the red the one in a red for i believe it's a two two trample with prowess yeah that that it turns into a a guy with double prowess yeah and ward yeah it's it's a kenra spells uh spell spear it's one and a red for a for a two two trample with prowess, three and a blue Phyrexian mana, uh, transform it into a three three with trample ward two and double prowess, which yeah. that's on curve. Like I'm you, in. You play it on two on three. You ca- you transform it and it becomes extremely hard to kill. Yeah, I, and then every spell that you cast just deals enormous amounts of damage. Yeah, I I think this card's good. I think mono red might be good. You just yeah. have a lot of tools. There's also a chance that like a bigger red version like is good with like dragons and invasion of Tarkir because invasion like deals a lot of damage on rate. Like it deals two damage at face value. If you have one dragon, then it's just lightning strike. Yeah. I mean, I'll wait and see like what the the package of dragons that you could put into one deck Atushi. is. But... Ao. Yeah. Ao puts this into play when it dies. You can put two of these into play deal four damage Ooh, something that's sweet i also am really interested in invasion of ergamon so this is 
red green for a battle with five i don't know battle counters uh, when it enters the battlefield create a treasure token and you may discard a card if you do draw a card and then it flips into like a three four trample when it etbs you may discard a card if you do search your library for a land or battle card reveal it put it into your hand then shuffle but i think just like the you know, we have played all of the iterations of two mana card that makes a treasure, like whatever else it gives you, like we will play Prosperous Innkeeper or whatever. And I think that this it, much more restrictive mana cost, you have to be a red green deck, but it's like doing a lot of Fable of the Mirror Breaker on turn two without having to attack with the goblin to get the, the treasure token. I think this card's probably going to see a ton of play. Yeah, honestly, yeah. It could be the thing that Jund needs, because, like, Jund has had a hard time really justifying its existence over Red, Black, or Grixis, but this is sort of, like, a smoother... I don't know, yeah, I, I could definitely see it. Yeah, I mean, green definitely needs to justify itself in standard, but hopefully we get there. I think, yeah, there's just a lot of... I think the uh, Invasion of Asgore is also quite good. The Edict, the Red, Black battle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sacrifices a creature or planeswalker and loses one life, yeah. My criteria for battle is basically just like, does it do a reasonable thing on the front half for for the cost of it? And then like the back half is just like gravy. Like ideally you should be able to ignore it if you have to, if you like want to. Yeah, it is tough to imagine like giving up four or five damage in most games. Like that's a, that's a big chunk of damage and you have to like somehow not care about their life total very much, but also care about getting the creature on the backside for whatever reason. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you'll get it incidentally. Maybe sometimes you'll cast, there's like a three mana spell that flips, that basically flips most battles and draws a card. It's like two and a black remove five counters from something, draw a card. Mm. And that might just be a better way of flipping some of these bigger battles. Yeah. The invasion of Gobakan, the two the white battle that's two mana when it enters, look at target opponent's hand, exile a non-land card from it, and it costs two more to cast. That one's not mm -hmm. that hard to flip. And its backside is quite strong. Yeah. It takes three damage to flip, and its backside is at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature that attacked this turn, and you can sacrifice it to give your creatures hexproof and indestructible. I mean, this is like incredible wrath insulation in multiple ways over the course of a game. Yeah, it really seems like the tools for aggressive decks are going to be there because it seems pretty easy to just like throw a creature at this while you're attacking with everything else. It flips and then immediately puts counters on everything that just attacked. Um, this yeah. is kind of invasion. This is kind of venerated Loxodon if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, and actually, one thing that's really sick too is Guardian of Giripper, the angel, two and a white, three three flying angel. When it ETBs, exile up to one other target creature or artifact you control, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So that is both. It has flying and three power, so it's pretty good at flipping battles, and then it also links a flipped battle back so you get like the front side again if that's a thing that you you know i don't know exactly which battles we're doing that with but that's a pretty nice like contained synergy yeah flip tarkir and shock something again <laughs> in our angel dragon deck yeah angel dragon get kali of the of the vast in there <laughs> oh man you are an edh creator oh yeah i've been writing for the professor for a year now I mean, I imagine you've internalized a lot about magic cards that I don't really encounter or deal with on a regular basis. 
I know everything there is to know about EDH now. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really a wild. Base. Yeah. <laughs> it's taking up too much of my brain. Obviously, standard is like the format where like battles, the constructed format where battles ha- are primed to have the most impact. And I have not played Magic during a time when a new card type arrived. So I'll be really curious to see how it changes things fundamentally. Yeah, I'm excited for this and excited to miss evaluate a ton of these cards (laughs) definitely i i it's gonna be interesting too because it'll be very punishing of any deck that can't defend battles i mean and and i don't like that's true but also like every deck has to keep creatures from hitting you so like there is kind of a built-in like you should be able to stop them if you really need to kind of thing yeah, that's a good point. But it certain, certainly rewards like engaging on the battlefield. I don't know. That's probably plenty, unless you have anything else in particular that you're thinking about. But we're going to be talking about new cards over the next couple of weeks anyways, so we've got plenty of time. Yeah, I think I hit all of my, all the things that were in my brain. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I, I do think this set looks really cool. I'm very excited for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, one other, th- one last thing. The the venerated Loxodon of this set is Knight Errant of Aeos. Yes, a five mana four four convoke, just like venerated Loxodon. Only instead of putting creature more like power on the board, it puts more creatures in your hand, which is, which sort of does the same thing in terms of like being the top end. That like in the case of venerated Loxodon, it ends the game quicker, and in the case of Knight Errant of Aeos, it like gives you more gas to play a longer game. Yeah, that is a pretty sweet card. And it's like just as disappointing to hard cast as Venerated Loxodon is. Whenever you were just like, I don't have any creatures in play. I have to cast this 4-4 four, for four, 5. It's like exactly also a Dirkwood Boar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is almost the exact same card, I'm going to say. It, no, you know what it is? It's the flip side of the coin of Venerated Loxodon. Mm, yeah, inside of you are two Convoke creatures. Yeah. One is a Human Knight. Another is an Elephant Cleric. <laughs> I prefer the elephant cleric, just on creature type basis. I'm a fan of elephants. All right. Well, I think that's it for us this week. Uh, Jesse, really appreciate you stopping by. As always, you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, um, you can find me. I write uh, articles for CFB and scripts for the Tillerian Community College. Uh, So you can find me either of those places. And you find me on Twitter at TittyPills, where I tweet about succession the show and (laughs) this game that we all play magic the gathering and if you want more specific content from me um i also have a patreon patreon.com slash titty pills so check it out there i don't offer titty pills but that is the icon of my discord server so and and you've got some breach content on there and also some more general like i know that you're about to start posting stuff about tournament preparation generally and and what you've learned over the past couple of years working on on stuff for that yeah i uh i just posted today a article for my um s tier patrons which are patrons twenty dollars and up um well it's just twenty dollars uh and uh uh this part one of the article is talking about common pitfalls that players fall into when testing um including me i also have fallen into these before and how you can avoid those pitfalls and the next week's article will be about what a successful uh, tournament prep looks like so check those out on my patreon if you would like 
<laughs> you gotta stay subscribed or else you only get what bad preparation looks like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have to be around <laughs> for at least a week. And I think I think this will be a thing I, I start doing a little bit more of is, is like talking more about like general advice in addition to like stuff like matchup guides and stuff like that. So the thing that gets the clicks is the sideboard guide for this weekend, but the thing that gets you better at magic is the this is these are the mistakes I've made preparing for tournaments. So definitely. Well thank you so much. Everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. Have a great week. Bye.